1: hustle network podcast today we have two special guests with us they are quinn wang and christine hara Quinn is a UCSF-trained cataract surgeon and two-times Duke alum, BAMD, who graduated with highest distinction in English literature. She has published papers in leading journals, such as ophthalmology, designed and implemented a randomized clinical control trial, and pioneered bilateral cataract surgery in private practice. Outside of work, she regularly cycles up mountains and occasionally climbs up volcanoes on skis. Christine is a two-time founder who graduated from UC Berkeley with degrees BA, MS, in biology, history, and information science. She has authored academic papers in data mining and computer science, piloted studies in computational cancer research and evolutionary genetics, and shorted the fastest market crash in history. When not working, she enjoys road tripping across Africa and exploring ghost towns she has also previously at pandora and united masters welcome to the show quinn and christine
2: thank you so much for having us we're excited to chat about our story and have a great conversation
0: definitely we're super excited to have you guys on the show as well so we'll start with you quinn like tell us about your upbringing what was that like
2: Okay, happy to. Uh, I was actually born in China, in Hunan. And my parents came over when I was one. My dad went to med school in China and uh, came to the U.S. to do a PhD to get his foot in the door and uh, become a resident and uh, eventually work his way up to full professor of medicine at Rutgers. So he's got like a very productive, typical Asian immigrant story where like on this journey, he started out his 30 and he had $50 in his pocket. He loves to emphasize that point. He came to OHSU and started doing his PhD. My mom came and joined him for, um, from ages one to two, I was raised by my maternal grandparents and, um, Yeah, when I came over to the States, to Portland, um, my mom said that uh, I didn't recognize her and uh, my dad, and I hid behind my grandma, and it was heartbreaking for her, Um, and it's it's weird to think about, but uh, I'm not the only one who's had this experience. I've talked to other Asian kids who, you know, their parents, in an effort to set them up for success, came over to the U.S., first and then uh, brought their kids over later and the kids are like who are you Uh, and then it's like a matter of relationship building Um, and then from that point on we moved around the country a whole ton because of my dad's training you know he did his PhD and his postdoc he got into a residency program in like a pretty dangerous part of Brooklyn, where he dealt with a lot of racism and um, kind of hid that from us as we were growing up. Um, and he did a fellowship and, uh, as I mentioned, is now a professor of medicine and uh, attending at Rutgers. So growing up, there was a lot of moving around, didn't really see my dad that much, my mom, was in many ways a tiger mom who (laughs) sat me down during the summers and made me do math problems and uh, write Chinese characters. And so every summer I would disappear while my friends like went to summer camp and on vacations, I was just like studying, (laughs) studying and then eventually transitioned into like, bit torrenting anime and, you know, LimeWire, stuff like that. Um, and that's, that's pretty much, um, the broad strokes of it. Uh, my mom, I credit her a lot for my work ethic, but have complicated feelings about, you know, the way I was raised, just like I'm sure a lot of people who are are listening, Um, can relate to, so I'll stop there.
1: Wow, thank you so much for sharing, Quinn. And it sounds like you know both of your parents were, you know, very um, uh, they were they were very accomplished, and it sounds like they had a lot of influence into you know how you were raised. And I love how you shared that you you were you know bit torrenting anime and spending your free time doing that. <laughs> Would love to hear from you, Christine, on you know your upbringing as well
3: yeah yeah i mean uh i i too was bit torrenting anime at that time who wasn't <laughs> but um yeah actually i had a really different experience from queen growing up um i i think i'm one of the few asians that didn't have tiger parents i actually am super jealous of all my friends i wish i had had tiger parents oh wait okay my parents are listening <laughs> Maybe i don't want to say that <laughs> um yeah i think like uh yeah i grew up in a household where they i think um, i'm fourth generation japanese and so it's sort of like a mix of um maybe the white suburban experience, but then some Asian heritage, like we still, you know, celebrate with traditional Japanese food on New Year's, but then it's a lot more um, free reign. I was allowed to run around do whatever I wanted when I was a kid. Um, A lot of freedom. Um, I guess there's that stereotype of like, you know, American kids that go home and yell at their parents. Uh, Maybe that was sometimes me. Um, But yeah, I, I think it was a really amazing environment, I think, for entrepreneurship, because I I think I grew up in this environment where I didn't feel that I was constrained in like um, anything I wanted to do. I felt like I had the freedom to try. Um, Yeah. And then, so I guess eventually that led me into college at UC Berkeley. Um, I, I think almost because I had so much freedom, I actually like didn't know what I wanted to be in life. And I almost wish I had had somebody to tell me then. Um, But I think if somebody had told me it might've been, it might've been the wrong thing. Right. It's always like, um, the grass is always greener and um, so I spent a long time I uh, did a lot of different majors I did history and biology because they were just like polar opposites and I was like well I like the sciences I also really like the humanities I liked reading a lot um, yeah that's something Quinn and I have in common we were both humanities majors in undergrad um, but like yeah I guess from there I think eventually I, I graduated and I got out of college and I was like oh no the thing I didn't cover was actually computer science if that was the right fit it just like I think, um, yeah, Sacramento is very sort of like agricultural and government focused. And it just never occurred to me that like programming computers was a thing. I think somebody came up to me um, on my very first day at Cal and they were like, oh, I'm a computer science major. And I definitely offended her because I was like, what is computer science? Um, and so after a lot of twists and turns, I have somehow ended up here as a, a software engineer.
0: That's awesome. I mean, I also come from a software engineering background too. And, you know, moving to the Bay, it was like, software this software that and it's like you really had to get into tech you know so i'm kind of curious too like how did you two meet and how did this um this company come about
2: uh i first wanted to piggyback on what christine said about not really knowing what uh, she wanted to do um so i come from clearly a, a more strict background and when i got to college i also didn't know what I wanted to do. So I saw the struggles that my dad went through with medicine and I was like, I don't know if that's for me. Um, but I went to a place, Duke, where it seemed like the only acceptable career paths were medicine, law, eye banking, consulting, poli-sci, and um, I thought all of them were kind of evil. And to me, medicine was the least evil. But I felt like I was signing a deal with the devil because um, I knew that I wouldn't have the freedom to really explore the part of me that was more creative and more curious and already was feeling very suffocated by the way that I grew up and suffocated by the notion of being in one career path and not knowing how like I as a person fit into that. And so doing um, doing a humanities path, becoming an English major was uh, my gift to myself to learn and explore um, the the other side of my brain. And uh, as I was going through med school and residency with each step, I, I said to myself, you know, I'm closer to this to this position in society that would be respected and enable me to really help people and my parents would be proud and their sacrifices would be worth it and then with each step i was like oh my god i feel very trapped in my desire to um make things more efficient and humane for my classmates, my colleagues, for patients. Um, Like It just wasn't nurtured and there was so much red tape and everyone knows that the healthcare system is super broken and I've been on both sides and it's just horrible. And so I have for a long time been feeling like, I want to put my own spin uh, on this path that I've ventured out, ventured on kind of unwillingly. Um, I fortunately matched at UCSF for ophthalmology, which brought me to the Bay Area. And uh, shortly before graduating, realized that um, it would behoove me to learn about tech worlds, and start making inroads building my network and um, along the way I met Christine through South Park Commons which is a community for tinkerers and technologists and tech it's like an in-person community and uh, I joined actually shortly before shelter in place came down and uh, by the time Christine and I met it was all virtual. Um so that is We we met in a Slack channel. <laughs> we met in Slack channel and Christine was wanting to work on something healthcare related and I'll let her talk a little bit more about that. And everyone was like, you should talk to Quinn. She's like a healthcare person. <laughs> and uh yeah, at the time I was working as an attending cataract surgeon part-time in San Francisco and my clinic was closed because eye exams were deemed to be non-essential. And so there was like this element of, oh my God, I made it. I made it to the end. Part of the reason I stayed in this was for job security and actually went into private practice. My clinic closed and I didn't even have job security. So I was like, I've been tortured for so long and I don't even get to reap the benefits. And, you know, just out of of, uh, need and frustration, I started working on this tool that would allow me to gather objective data from patients about their eyeballs. Like when they call and say, Dr. Wang, my vision is crappy or my eye hurts. Historically, there's no way to tell if there's something actually wrong. It's a matter of gleaning details from the person's story. Like I woke up and I hit my head and then a shadow came over my eye and now I can't see. And I'm like, what do you mean you can't see? Are you like, can you not see any light or can you just not see as clearly as you normally could? So the problem of not having objective data is something that really bothered me. And um, I looked into it I realized there were no remote tools for providing eye care. Then I started working on that. And uh, Christine joined me after she had an eye problem and I was able to help her with the thing I built.
3: Yeah, so I, I come to Quinn with all of my hypochondriac questions about anything medical related. <laughs> but I think especially then, um, yeah, because it was a pandemic and it was locked down, I was trying to bleach my own hair because salons were closed. Um, I normally have ABG hair. It's it's a little sad right now. Um, but yeah, I think during the process, I got bleach in my eye and I discovered how um, how kind of like annoying it is to do try to do remote eye care. Like I talked to my GP, but it's like a Zoom meeting and so he can't really like actually examine my eye. Um, And then my eye was like getting worse and worse. And, um, I was, I was like putting these drops in, but it just seemed like it was so hard to tell is like this doing anything. What if like something goes wrong with my vision? And it's so like, I think to any job vision is like essential, like, especially, you know, if you're a programmer and you can't see, well, uh, I think you have to change careers. Um, but like, yeah, I think when I, I tried it, I was really like, oh, you know, this is, I think it also resonated for me because I've had chronic health issues my whole life. Um, And it wasn't until this year, actually, that I I found a lot of them were due to this rare immune system condition. And I think this resonated because it's very similar. It's like when you have more visibility into like the human body, like the more tests you can do, the more like objective data you can gather, the more you actually like have the reality of what's going on. And then people don't, you know, people don't get misdiagnosed or mistreated. Um, So that was something that really excited me about working with Quinn. And um, it's funny because like, We actually only met once in person (laughs) before diving into this like insane journey of entrepreneurship. Um, Yeah, we met in a Slack channel, uh, chatted a bit. I I, like went off to Mexico to live uh, uh, um, by the beach for the pandemic. Um, I figured there wasn't a lot going on in San Francisco. And um, actually through this time, when I went to Mexico, uh, we're trying to do remote work without really having done remote work before Um, in Mexico actually like when I went there, it was hurricane season. So there were a bajillion hurricanes. Um, sometimes my power would get knocked out for days. I was taking these like fizzy water showers and like Quinn <laughs> would just like, I think the communi- communication, like working with a new co- co-founder is already hard enough if you like don't know each other that well. But then you like, when you add nat- natural disasters to the mix and like um, about a month after we met, we had our-, our YC interview, it was like crazy. But it's one of those things where it's, it's definitely like, it was an arranged marriage, but it's like worked out incredibly well. Um, yeah, we've been through a lot in the last few months together.
1: Wow, that is incredible that you two had met through Slack. Um, and Christian, I just wanted to point out your hair still looks amazing. So I wanted to commend you guys because it is already hard to, you know, find, you know, ways to work really well with your co-founder, even in person, and for you to, you know, work together mostly through virtually, you know, it's 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 extremely hard. And I want to commend you guys for that. It takes a lot of hard work. Um, and Quinn, I read in an article that you had previously had no tech experience. And I think it was in 2019, where you said you at that time. Um, And I think that's, that's amazing that you were able to, you know, build this company with no tech experience, but, you know, Christine, you come from a computer science um, and software engineering background, you know, I'm very curious, what were some of those struggles that you had Quinn with, you know, very minimal tech experience, and how were you two able to complement each other in, you know, every way possible?
2: Um... So as an example of how little I knew about tech, um, I had patients when I was a resident who work at Salesforce and I was like, what the hell is Salesforce? And they would tell me it's SaaS, it's a CRM. And I was like, can you please explain to me what SaaS means? And they're like, oh yeah, software as a service. And I would say, Isn't all software some sort of service? I don't understand why there needs to be like another, like a a phrase for it. And also, what is a CRM? I don't understand. I've like, I asked several patients about this and they're like, it's a CRM. You use it every day. Um, But anyway, I didn't know what Slack was. I didn't know what Stripe was. I didn't know about uh, square. I, I didn't even like DoorDash stuff. That's that's how <laughs> um, insulated I was. I don't I don't know why I didn't DoorDash stuff. But um, I what happened was uh, I went from that to discovering through a friend a piece of SaaS called Typeform, it's survey software, and I use that to torture out a whole online eye exam. And uh, so it's a matter of, I think, having an idea and figuring out the scrappiest, jankiest way to make it happen. And you know, at the end of the day, I just needed some data and I figured out how to get it. And uh, that speaks to my thoughts that you don't have to have like a very traditional software background to start doing interesting things in the space. Hardware is a little bit different, Uh, but uh, yeah, despite not being technical in the software sense, I consider myself to be quite technical in the ophthalmology sense. And so I'm a, I'm in some ways, a technical co-founder as well. And I just like, from a different realm and so i'm able to articulate things using my expertise and christine helps me translate that into more software stuff and i've definitely learned a lot from her you know the phrase machine learning gets thrown around a lot and she she sent me a video that was like elementary school level and it really helped But don't ask me to explain it. I'm a little bit nervous to to put my
0: spit on it. I mean, that's a perfect marriage, right? Just compliment each other, each other's expertise. That's the best type of uh, co-founder relationship that we found, especially having this podcast and talking to people. Uh, Christine, can you tell us more about Quadrant Eye and what you guys actually do for your product?
3: Yeah, yeah. So um, we actually have like a set of different products. I don't know how much I... I'm not I'm supposed to say today but I would the first product that we started with is prescription renewals um and it was something actually we originally were building a telemedicine clinic for some lightweight eye problems you know like styes, dry eyes and then we found that people were searching for online eye exam but when they found us and they would find us this way but they actually really just wanted their glasses contacts prescriptions renewed and we were like oh you know that's actually um from a technical standpoint that's not too difficult so we we spun that up and yeah, it was, it was an interesting experience to do all these landing pages and find that this problem was like very sticky, just like people are always looking for it, especially in a pandemic. You don't really want to go into your appointment and potentially risk getting COVID just because you, you need to find new contacts. Um, and I guess, uh, Quinn, I don't know if you want to talk
2: more about the eye health portion, which is what we're diving into next. Um, so it's interesting this problem of finding product market fit, which is a concept that I didn't quite understand because um, given my clinical surgical background, I am used to like having problems to solve and solving them in a way that is like, obviously you should you should treat this disease this way. If you have a cataract, I take it out with surgery. But product market fit is something that's different. It's determined by the market, the customer. And like a huge, huge, huge lesson for me, and that was very humbling, was that I actually don't know shit about what people actually want. And like medical training doesn't prepare you for really seeing patients as like humans who might have preferences that are very justified for example waiting three hours in clinic is not chill uh, but as a resident if a patient complained about waiting you know an hour we'd be like, uh, excuse me. We slept for three hours and we're very overworked. And typically the wait time is three hours. So one hour is not that bad. So coming from that background and dealing with this question of product market bit and realizing that people wanted something different from what uh, I was envisioning was very like traumatic in a way, because I was like, I'm learning so much. And uh, the skills that I gained through like, be like, operating on people and being on call for long periods of time, only partially translated. And so um, from but I do want to take my experiences and my learnings to push us in a direction that will really, really benefit people uh, in all aspects of eye health. What people don't realize when it comes to eyeballs is that there's two broad buckets. The first one is a vision. Um, Maggie AC wear glasses and I know Brian wears glasses as well and I have a refractive error and Christine also wears glasses of contacts. Um, So um, there's vision which is what can you see are you 2020 are you 2040 and if you're 2040 what's kind of glasses or contact lens prescription do you need to get to 2020. So that's vision and that's what most people think about and uh, that is Not all of it, though. There's another bucket, which is where a lot of which is where ophthalmologists really uh, they operate, which is eye health. Are you uh, someone who's at risk for glaucoma? Do you have a family history of retinal degeneration and therefore we have to screen you every year? Like what um, if you have diabetic eye disease, what is your rate of progression? And how often do we have to see you Um, and this latter part, the eye health portion isn't really that embedded in like societal awareness and most people are just like oh that's like stuff for old people. Um, But in fact, the I mean, we all have eyes. Christine mentioned, you know, like vision is incredibly important and vision is tied to eye health. So like the glasses and contact lens part and like the eye history risk factors, they are treated as two distinct things just because of the way the industry has been broken down. But they are. Inextric- inextricably intertwined. So that is my long way of saying that our ultimate goal is to move, in addition to being able to renew prescriptions, be able to provide eye health services to folks anywhere, including in eye health deserts. And the way we get to that is very complicated and requires a lot of technological finesse uh, that Christina's is taking the charge on. We just hired employee number one and he's also Asian American, incredibly scrappy, has a non-traditional background, college dropout that like incredibly, incredibly smart and very curious and exactly the type of person we need to move through these stages of getting more and more sophisticated and being able to change the way people perceive and receive eye care. So it's super 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 exciting and along the way we've gotten to meet awesome people like yourselves who um are interested in crafting a life and a career that um may look quite different from what our parents had
0: imagined for us yeah i really like that you that you touched upon that the subject too because you know our parents imagined us to be like you know traditional jobs lawyers doctors whatever engineers and having this untraditional thing it's like there's more to it because at first they're not very supportive but then as you show them that it is possible to become more and more supportive I'm like oh at the end of the day it's like i just want to make my make, make sure my kid is happy and doing things that are benefiting the world in a very good place and i really like the fact that you touched upon on uh, your first employee like the sense of curiosity i feel like Nowadays, it's a lot different for me, right? Before, I was like pedigree. I was like, "Where'd you go to school? Like, what'd you study?" Nowadays, it's like, I feel like, yeah, that is important, but a person's curiosity will take you much further, and a person's curiosity will open more doors for the company because the creativity, it's 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 actually really really hard to find, (laughs) you know, in a person. Uh, So I do commend you for saying that, especially as a as a founder as well. So thank you for that.
2: Yeah, I. Sorry, Christine. I'll say one thing about that. I think um, the educational structure that we're used to is becoming a little more irrelevant, um, and it really should be more centered on um, teaching people how to be curious and exploring their interests, which is a very soft and complicated skill, but much more valuable than, say, rote memorization, which is gets you mm-hmm. gets you far mm-hmm. but um only so far you hit a ceiling definitely
3: yeah definitely i think that's something that we're thinking a lot about as we build the early team because i think something quinn and i have in common is we you know we started on this like predefined you know safe path difficult but safe and then we realized like this isn't what is making me happy like i want something more like it seems like uh, we've achieved everything that society like, you know, says is good, but there's something missing. Um, and I think, yeah, we build a team looking for people like that, um, people that want to color outside of the lines, people that want to, you know, go on this like crazy journey to, <laughs> to find product market fit that are really comfortable with, um, you know, chaos and uncertainty, but like are, and are actually like excited um, by this rather than, you know, staying in this like predefined structure that society has created.
1: Absolutely. I agree with all of you three. And, you know, I think my parents just, you know, recently said, they were just talking about, you know, like my relatives and cousins saying, like, oh, he should become a doctor or a lawyer. But they really have to think about, you know, is this something that they even want to do? You know, but I think that if you put someone in a career where they're actually passionate about something, they actually fall in love with that career, they can go so much further than, you know, being stuck in a career where they don't actually enjoy being in. So, I do want to switch gears a little bit and talk about Y Combinator. and I know that Quadrant I got into YC. Um, we'll love to hear about the process of you know being in YC and how did that make you two feel? And what were you know what were the challenges? What were the the um, the breakthroughs during the whole process? This is like
2: complicated question in a lot of ways Uh, but okay so YC is another thing that I didn't know existed and um, as Christine and I in our early stages of working together and um, dealing with the uncertainty of being in startup world uh, I in particular felt extremely uncomfortable with the uncertainty I was like in a total mind fuck about it actually. And uh, I, I really credit Christine for being patient with me and uh, sticking with me through like the crazy (laughs) shit that I was saying and dealing with. Like, uh, again, it was, you know, I went from being like a resident at a top surgical program and then like an attending doing very interesting surgical things to, being in my room dealing with google ads and tele type form online. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. So I was looking for a little more structure. And then like by that point I had heard about YC and um I didn't tell Christine about thinking about it until like the night before the deadline. And I was like christine, by the way let 's do y c and we we did our very first sprint together, which was to fill out our y c application and then like we we got it in right before the deadline um, and corralled our friends at this point. I like somehow built out a network of fellow founders who were able to put in really great recommendations for us and, um, We got an interview on the very first day of interviews and uh, were pretty nervous um, and didn't think we could do it. And Christine, I think, might have propped up her phone on a pineapple. There was was a coconut. It was a coconut. Okay, it was a coconut. She propped her phone up on a coconut for the interview. (laughs) In these tropical Airbnbs sometimes. <laughs> and I put my laptop on a series of cardboard boxes on like a stool to get it up to because I wanted to stand for the interview. I got it. I'm like a saving the photo for when we IPO like this is just like it was crazy. There's a bunch of cardboard boxes and I, you know, stood there and we killed it. I like drew up, uh, on all my reserves to answer their questions very confidently, even though I didn't feel confident inside. I, it's like, I need to like project my power and confidence as an Asian woman surgeon doing this hard thing. And, um, you know, uh, christine having her in my corner and just like knowing that we are both like had these coconuts and cardboard boxes on board it's just like you know what is really that hard if we're like doing this cool interview in kind of suboptimal conditions but you know we we did great christine was awesome and uh, a few hours later we got a call from Jared Friedman saying that we got in. Um, and I think both Christine and I were like, shit, what do we do now? Uh, yeah, I'll let Christine talk a little
0: more about That's it. a great problem to have, by the way. A lot of people spend months and months preparing for the application process and you guys spend the night before, so congratulations on that.
1: I wanted to talk about that too, Quinn, like the night before you should like see how like I act when Brian and I are getting ready to like submit applications to an accelerator. I'm just like panicking, like I have to get this right and perfect, like every word, every sentence, every period. <laughs> so the night before is just amazing. <laughs> we have so you.
3: many of our amazing friends like jump in on like, you know, a Saturday and give us a mock interview right, right before. Yeah, it's actually the day before my birthday. So like, all of my birthday plans got canceled, but it was so um, I think it's just as well that we did it last minute, because I think it it it's almost like the more time you have, the more time you have to feel the pressure. Um, and, you know, just I think we went in and we were pretty genuine. And I think, you know, Quinn already has all of this, like, dense medical knowledge and like she's been almost like thinking about this problem for years, I think, in the back of her head. And so, like, um, Yeah, I I guess for for me, I I did know a lot about YC before. Um, I actually had a lot of imposter syndrome, I think, around it, because I've seen like, you know, so many friends and so many people that are just, you know, acquaintances, but like really great entrepreneurs go through YC. And I always was like, I don't think I'm that caliber, but I would love, you know, I'd love to get into YC, but I don't really know if this is in the cards. And like, um, I think, yeah, to get in was like incredible. And also to like find that, um, you know, the people in the batch are like, you know, really talented. A lot of people, there's a good chunk of people that already have had, um, successful startups before. And then, you know, the partners are like on this insane level, but they're all incredibly nice down to earth humans. And so like, um, especially because entrepreneurship like has so many like crazy ups and downs, especially, you know, for us, we were a very young startup when we got in, um, Yeah, it was just like amazing to have these partners who if you wanted to slack them about like an emergency on a Saturday evening, they would actually be there and respond and, you know, be willing to jump on a Zoom call. We had, um, you know, we had so much as this tutor in the raise, I think, where they were, um, you know, it's like incredible. They have 80 startup children in every group, um, but somehow they managed to like spend a lot of time with all of their their child companies and and give a lot of um, help and advice. And so we're really thankful for that. Um, yeah, yeah, I I think, uh, Quinn, Quinn's done an amazing job because, uh, I saw this girl, like, you know, right after demo day, raising is pretty intense. And like, we had a very early product. I actually built the MVP during YC in a few weeks. It was like pretty janky, um, very fast, but like Quinn, I think Quinn took this product and took, uh, you know, over 80 meetings to raise our seed round. Um, so (laughs) thank you for
0: that that is not an easy feat and it's very draining very morally draining (laughs) but once you get it done that's nothing like it so congratulations on that
2: thank you so much uh yeah i would say So I took 85 meetings over the course of two and a half weeks because I knew that um, time was of the essence and I was very aware that just because we were in YC and we had demo day was no guarantee that we would be able to raise. In fact, there are some companies in our batch that are still raising and some that have deferred. So like if I could do anything, I would like to dispel the myth that if you get into YC, um, and you get to demo day, it's a sure thing that you'll race. And, uh, it is ultimately, you know, YC, you can consider it as jet fuel, but you have to have a rocket and you have to have a good pilot. Um, and like in this case, yes, I went in with a very, very, very strict attitude where, you know, I took, bunch of meetings every day um, and got better and better at telling the story and really built up my confidence level the more meetings that I took and just fucking knocked it out of the park. I mean, we oversubscribed our round and like our lead is a tier 1 lead that I had never heard of because again, my background uh and like I, I, just didn't think that it would happen and the momentums in our favor, Christine and I created, um, a lot of circumstances, some by accident to maximize our luck and our chances of success. Christine built the product from scratch during YC and we had like over a hundred customers despite all these bugs that we were facing and all the fear that I had about, you know, being perceived as a physician who's like a snake oil salesman, you know, that's like a whole other thing going into in medicine, where if you go into entrepreneurship in a way that is not like a very, very, um, kind of set path, like in medicine, entrepreneurship is about developing cool hardware and like very slowly going through the FDA and clinical trials, which we will need to do. But like if you deviate from that path, they're like, oh, yeah, you're just making an app or like you just care about money. Like, look at us. We're doing our hardware thing. So anyway, I was facing a lot of that um, as well, grappling with feeling uncomfortable about having a product that isn't in, that isn't complete out there getting shade from physicians uh, as well as optometrists who aren't really understanding what I was doing and really um, put the worst of intentions uh, on me. And um, on top of that, being a woman, an Asian woman, it was just like a lot of a, a bag of, weird stuff um to to sort out um and still sorting that out i think it will it will continue to follow follow me um but yes uh, at the at the end of the day we we did an awesome we did an awesome job it didn't it did not really feel like it in the moment but uh yeah looking back I'm really it I kind of felt of like sliding flight. down a mountain
3: <laughs> like you know if you, you've fallen <laughs> start like rolling down the cliff that <laughs> and but then at the end you like kind of like happen in um of your destination it's like wow that was that was rough but we survived and yeah, actually was, like, things went awesome. really, really yeah. well <laughs>
0: this is entrepreneurship in a nutshell but I'm kind <laughs> of, like what is the next step for quadrant i like what are you guys hoping to accomplish for the rest of the year and for uh 2022 looking ahead
2: uh, oh, before I forget, this is related. Um, part of our success leading up to Demo Day actually is Asian Hustle Network. Uh, Christine had the brilliant idea of promoting our product on, like, on Facebook group, in the Facebook group. And we told our story about, you know, being Asian American and um being brave enough to step outside of the expectations um, that on my end, my parents, put on the, uh, Christine's end, it was like, sounds like a lot of internal uh, and as well as like the, the invisible societal forces play. Uh, but yeah, it was, our post was so well received and it just like touched me in a way that, um, I hadn't felt in a while because I predominantly in an effort to in a self-preservation effort uh, predominantly was not identifying with being Asian American. For me, it was more like being a woman and being a surgeon and then like more tertiary Asian American, because I felt very much like I had to fight against this image of, of me as like a young looking doll person who was very, um, who is expected to be quite deferential and obedient. And I really, 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 really resented that and fought against it. But like, you know, just seeing all the comments on our post and watching it go viral made me realize that, you know, this is an incredibly important part of my identity and in fact, on this journey, the strongest sources of support have come from my agent fam, so that is like a detour that I wanted to make, and it may, like it's because it, it's just like such an important part of the journey and becoming more and more important because you know one of our backers is building is a new fund that is geared toward Asian Americans. They're in stealth right now and they don't have a track record because they're new, but I just felt like it was worth it to for both Quadra and I and this fund to support each other and start building reputation of Asian American founders being very powerful and formidable and just like don't fuck with us, you know, we might look a certain way, um, but we are not. And it's important to put a strong face forward, especially during this current political climate. Um, And that being said, we have a lot of massive, we have massive ambition for where Quadrant I is going to go. Like, um, there's this We're thinking of um, a new category of healthcare that we're calling at home eye care. It's like intuitive, but also people hear about that and they're like, what about all the big pieces of equipment in the office? Like, what can you possibly do um, in the home to simulate an eye exam, to approximate it? Uh, And there's actually a lot. There's so much and we can get to a point where we can do routine eye care. At home and that is that is the goal Uh, ultimately you know there's of course always going to be a place for ophthalmologists and optometrists to provide very important complex care in person surgery is another aspect but there are a lot of eye problems in situations that can and should be managed remotely and a lot of routine visits can be done In the home, and uh, yeah, in in five years, we hope that at home eye care is a very intuitive, obvious thing. Just like you know, um, charging your phone is a reflex. We hope that someone who is having an eye problem can just like activate our service, like like just without thinking about it, Um, and. Yeah, a, a, there's a lot of, not more thoughts I have about this, but the broad strokes are to create a new kind of eye care.
3: I just wanted to add, to. I think there's something that, um, you know, I think Quinn knew about this before we were working on the project, but, like, we've discovered this, like, in, um, I think, increasing amounts as we, we work, interact with users. Um, a lot of the users that found just, like, our online prescription clinic are, uh, you know, we found from our drift chat, they're coming from small towns. And, um, so there's a lot of, uh, there's some of these other healthcare, um, companies where they work with healthcare deserts, like areas where, you know, people have limited access to care. Like, you know, maybe you're in a remote region or, you know, like you're in a smaller town and there there's, there's like a wait for the people, the specialists that are there. Um, and so in some places you, you, we've talked to people who have to drive like over two hours just to go see an optometrist. Um, and, and like, you know, I think when we, all, all of us are from cities and so this seems like very unusual, it seems like you would affect very few people, but there are a lot of people in the U S that, um, are impacted by this. And I think this is something that we really want to build out for in the next year, like finding these people that, you know, should have eye care, but maybe you aren't getting it. And especially those that are at high risk for, um, age related eye issues.
1: Thanks so much for sharing that, you guys. It's it's really awesome just hearing about you know the future and you guys thinking about the future of Quadrant Eye and you know hopefully we will get to a place one day where we can just think about eye care like like it is a reflex and I know we will get there. Um, and, and Quinn, thank you so much for sharing about AHN and the support that it has been for your company and the both of you. Um, think a lot of people had resonated with it just because you guys just so show so much resiliency and there is probably a lot of people inside the community that are in ophthalmology you know who are trying to sway away from this like one path of this linear path in this career right and there are you know a lot of Asian American women probably in this industry as well who really look up to you and your what you guys are building um it's just really inspirational for your entire story and we have one last question for the both of you and that is if you could give one advice to an aspiring entrepreneur what would that one advice be
3: i think for me it would be um i mean so corny but like you know i think don't give up but um so for me i i like a year ago right i like i had my first startup i had just um I had just run out of funding and I was like, you know, do I go on this journey again or do I go and like get a normal job? Um, Probably like I should have, especially in the middle of like a pandemic. Right. Because the the, um, I had really just like COVID had just hit and there were no jobs. And um, you know, like, especially in San Francisco, it's hard to survive without like steady income. Um, And like, I think at the time, like, like common sense would have told me to just like, you know, sit down, get a job, like work on a startup on the side. That's actually like what a lot of people told me to do. And I ignored it. Um but yeah, I'm so thankful I did because I think I've changed so much as a person. And I'm like also really thankful to be on this journey with with Quinn. <laughs> I was in a I think I was in bad shape when she found me. And so like, but um things have gone really well since.
2: We found each other. You kind of fell into my (laughs) lap. It's like, who are you? (laughs) Um, uh, I will also echo what Christine said about like the personal growth aspect. So doing a startup uh, has challenged me in ways that medicine did not and does not mainly in that there's always so many fires to put out and so much like accountability to yourself and to the team that you have to have the internal resources to be able to uh, make good decisions and also stay healthy for the sake of the company. And along those lines, um, the piece of advice that I would give and I think needs to be emphasized more is that um, there's um, so much self-limiting belief when it comes to doing something hard. What I mean by that is um, a lot of people think that because an undertaking seems impossible or too hard, they don't do it. And that, or they think they can't do it. They might try, but they're like, I'm going to fail anyway. And going in with the mindset of this is too hard. Like, why am I doing this? What is even the point? Uh, really sets you up for not being able to do it. And um, one great book that I read is called The Big Leap, which talks a lot about like how, people inflict unnecessary suffering on themselves and also shoot themselves in the foot by just like having this mindset of not being good enough it this thing being too hard so ultimately it comes down to realizing how powerful your mind is which is both scary and very encouraging, because once you believe in yourself, you're un-fucking-stoppable. Like, seriously, this thing that Christine and I are doing, it's insane. It's insane. Like, just even thinking about the hate mail that I've gotten, and you can see some of it in the comments on our HN post, it's like, If you're not in if you don't believe in yourself, no one else is going to believe in you. If you don't believe in yourself enough to invest in your mental health and your ability to lead, um, it's not going to happen. And so all this, you know, uh, is to say that you have the power to make shit happen. You just have to believe in yourself and tap into that well um, that is the power of the human mind uh, and that will get you to a place that like Christina's talking about where you just won't give up. Just don't give up, you know? And startups at the end of the day also are like, it's um, an attrition game. People, People give up and so the startup dies. If you keep at it long enough, good things will happen and like the opportunities, uh, you just create them by virtue of staying alive. Yeah. So
0: that's no, I absolutely, absolutely agree with that. I, I saw a quote somewhere, uh, saying that stars don't die after funding runs out. They, they die after the passion runs out, you know, and I think that's so true. Like, I, I see like a lot of friends who, you just tell they're just, they're just no longer passionate. They don't want to just push through and grind through and ride the waves. Because if you want to look for solutions, solutions are everywhere. Um, but you have to be willing to like put yourself through that much pain again to keep it going. <laughs> so that's a whole different story that we can talk about later.
1: Absolutely. Love that advice, both of you, Quina and Christine. So, for our listeners, where can they find out more about the both of you and Quadrant I?
2: Well, We have our AHN post that's like in the queue somewhere. Uh, But like our company website, quadranti.com has our bios on there and obviously talks about our services, also talks a little bit about the mission. Um, The the goal is to bring high quality eye care to everyone. And as part of that, for every purchase that's made through us, every time someone Uses our service, a dollar goes to Lighthouse for the Blind, which is a nonprofit that I've referred a lot of low vision patients to. And I think what they're doing is incredibly important. So our website, uh, and then I uh I recently started a Medium account for our company. It's um quadranti.medium.com, and that is where We talk a lot about our company culture and philosophy and how we want to really empower our team to take it to the next level, whether or not they stick with us in the long term. But like we want to we really want to give people the skills and at the very least the confidence to um, leap to leap to new heights with us or start their own startup or join like their dream company, uh, if it's not quite an eye down the line. Um, and then I'm on Twitter it's a Quinn IQ and, uh, it's not really, I don't really tweet anything directly related to I stuff, but it's fun. So you should follow me.
1: (laughs) Awesome. And Christine, do you have any handles you'd
3: like to share? Uh, No, I think it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just just find me on uh, LinkedIn. (laughs) Okay. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for
1: uh, sharing, Christine and Quinn. We will leave all those in the show notes of this podcast. It was amazing hearing your story today. We really appreciate you both for being on our podcast.
0: Yeah. Thank you, too, so much for your incredible story and your incredible success so far. We can't wait to see how the story unfolds. Thanks so much
2: for having us. Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's been a great time and really an honor and like again i will end by saying that um you can do great shit regardless of your background and um just having this community that we all share will like it makes a huge difference you know so uh Thanks again, and we'll see you around.
0: Hey, guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show.
1: We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned.
0: Thank you guys so much.